Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to an Amber a Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher, and I'm here with Jenna from Million Marker today. And I'm really excited about it because we are going to discuss endocrine disruptors, uh, hormone health, and her story and just how it's played into this really exciting way of figuring out how many endocrine disruptors you are currently dealing with. So if that's, uh, you know, if you have hormonal imbalance issues, I think you should listen to this. Just putting that out there. So Jenna, why don't you introduce us to you and tell us a little bit about your story and how you got interested in this. Thank you so much, Amber, for having me. I'm super, super excited to record this podcast. Um, I got into this for two reasons. So one is, I guess I should backtrack a little bit, tell people a little bit about myself. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jenna. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Million Marker. Uh, at Million Marker, we're trying to provide a direct-to-consumer, uh, mainly urine test, allowing people to understand their hormone-disrupting chemical exposures. So then we can provide actionable lifestyle suggestions and product recommendation to you so you can decrease these exposures. As we know, these exposures are harmful to our health. I got into this uh, for two re- reasons. So one professional reason, one personal reason. Um, professional reason, I was uh, I studied in nutrition during undergrad, uh, went back to grad school to study environmental health, then did a postdoc uh, looking at how do we change people's behavior to have them adopt to a healthier lifestyle. Through my research, I just realized that, you know, it's not just where we buy our food, our external exposure. It's also what's inside of us you know there's no personalized ways to actually understand what is your environmental exposure what is this exposure is doing to you what can you do to mitigate these harmful ones and optimize your health we simply have no data i was very frustrated in my research so i figured since nobody's reading my papers anyway i should do something else Um, and and, you know we know we already know that you know your health is uh, made of your genetics and your environment but your genetics actually accounts for only less than 30 percent of your health your chronic disease risk the rest of them are like um, you know contributed by your environment yet we don't have data you know we can test our genes left and right we can do all kinds of tests but there isn't really an environmental test out there for people to actually understand their own exposure. So I was really frustrated. Uh, At the same time, like on the personal side, I really wanted this test myself. I had multiple, multiple miscarriages, late stage miscarriages too. Then the doctor just tells me, you know, good luck next time. And it's not very satisfying. And since I have no answers, I start seeking answers myself. Because I studied this, I really want to know, even just for a sense of assurance, I know this is not, I felt like I'm doing everything right, but am I doing everything right? I don't really know. And I didn't want this to be a trigger to my conditions. 
So when I went to the doctor, I said, could I get a test like this? And they said, nope, the only test we have is uh, heavy metal. Uh, so it's, it's just very unsatisfying. And I felt, one, people need to know like what they're being exposed to and do something about it. And second, particularly for, for people who are trying to conceive, staying pregnant, having a healthy baby and even postpartum parents with young kids. I think this is really, really important to have this knowledge. So it's not just for you, but it's also for your unborn children and it's all for your children's children. You know, I just feel this information is really important that that kind of like got me onto this path of starting this company to help people understand their exposures. I really, really appreciate that. And thank you for sharing, you know, that, that part of your story, because that's something that as a nutritionist, you know, I can talk all day about like eating more vegetables and all those kinds of things, but there are certain things like, like endocrine disruptor exposure, particularly from plastics that it causes, it does cause problems. And and I think it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to get that information across to people because there's a lot of pushback on that. And I, I think that's because so much of our life sort of revolves around the use of Mm -hmm. these chemicals. And, uh, so to try to cut plastic out of your life is like so overwhelming that it's almost like, let's not even try. Uh, and people just don't want to hear it. You know, they don't want to hear that. Oh, here's another thing that I need to take care of. But when you are dealing with hormone imbalance issues in particular, um, yeah, miscarriages, uh, infertility, all that kind of stuff. I'm of the opinion, like I had went through the same thing. I, I went through IVF for my son and, you know, I tried to do everything that I could outside of that to try to make mm-hmm. things work. And, um, and I just like wasn't successful and had to go ahead and go that route. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I was very much of the mindset too, that like, I want to know for sure that I'm doing everything that I can, because there's doing, there's thinking you're doing everything that you can. And then there's actually doing everything that you can, you know, and some things just weren't available to us at the time. Like when did your, when did your testing actually, when did you get started with that to where it was available to the public? I got started uh, two years and a half ago, but we weren't able to launch our current product, which testing a panel of testing over 13 chemical metabolite. And so last year, like last August, so it hasn't been that long. It wow. took a it, it took a long time to get to this t- stage. Yeah, because I'm like, all of a sudden I'm I'm hearing your name and I'm hearing about this cool test and I'm like, I've been in practice for like seven years. I'm like, why haven't I heard about this before? You know, I would love to run this on some people. I would love to have run this on myself. Um, I had endometrial cancer, and uh, you know, I mean, anytime there's an estrogenic mm-hmm. issue. I think we have to look at not just our food and, you know, our lifestyle and all that, but also at exposures to this kind of thing, because it really does. I mean, we call them what xenoestrogens, right? I mean, they're estrogens from the environment Mm -hmm. and they can impact our hormone balance. And so many of the women that I work with are estrogen dominant and it may not come out on lab work, but they have all the symptoms of estrogen dominance. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the testing for that, I don't think is fully comprehensive yet either, but it's very fascinating. 
So totally uh, on the same page. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like, I don't want to gush too much, but I really admire what you're doing because I just think it's really, really important. And I'm, I really hope that it'll prevent a lot of these kinds of issues that like you and I have lived through for future Mm -hmm. generations. Um, Oh, wow. I'm getting teary. Okay. I'm not going to do that. So (laughs) let's, let's talk about endocrine disruptors, shall we? So tell us about some of the different metabolites that you test for and, you know, um, where we commonly get exposed to those things in the environment and what they do to us. Yeah, so we test for the common hormone disrupting chemicals in everyday products. Think about your yeah, plastic as one, uh, your household products, as well as your personal care product. We test for BPA, BPA alternatives, uh, BPS, BPF. We test for five of the phthalates, four parabens, as well as oxybenzone. Uh, so people might have heard about BPA quite a bit. Um, you always see many of the plastic, la- uh, plastic bottle labeled BPA-free. Uh, thanks to conscious consumers, moms trying to get BPA out of their baby's water bottle. That's how BPA got banned. The issue is <laughs> once BPA got banned, the manufacturers started using these alternatives like BPS and BPF. They can literally swap a letter, have from BPA all the way to BPZ or any combination of those. And the research have shown that these alternatives are just as bad as BPA, if not worse. Um, you usually find BPA, yes, in plastics because BPA is used to make uh, epoxy resin, uh, resin to make plastic shatterproof. So many times BPA and phthalates can actually made off up to 80% of the plastic. So anytime you use plastic, even if it's BPA free, it could still have BPA or BPA alternatives in it. BPA is also used on thermal receipts. That's one of the major exposure how people get exposed to. Oftentimes, why tell people avoid touching receipt, and people always get surprised, like what receipt? Seriously, I had a friend who she sells like uh, clean beauty products and stuff, and I remember her telling me that about the receipts, and she was saying that especially if you wear lotion on your hands, like right before you go and get a receipt, it increases the absorption of that stuff too. Is that true? Depending on what's in your lotion, there are some chemicals that, that manufacturers add to lotions or any you know, face serum or anything to actually harmless. Um, the whole reason it's that chemical is called um, pentylene glycol. It's the actually used to help good stuff to absorb into your lotion but because it's just increased the penetration right so you have that and unfortunately when you have touching bpa and you use that that chemical just pretty much help you absorb more it's like unintended consequence Uh Uh, so unfortunately we have that we have that dilemma um, and then, you know, phthalates, we talked a little bit about phthalates. Phthalates is actually a chemical makes plastic flexible. So think about your serine wrap. Um, there are two kinds of phthalates that we test. One is called low molecular weight phthalates. One is high molecular weight. Um, they're using different things. So, so low molecular weight phthalates are usually used in personal care product, household products um, as part of the fragrance uh, ingredient. So anytime you see fragrance on your product label, that's almost a code for phthalates. Uh, please ditch that. Manufacturer have gone smarter. 
since people started recognizing, hey, I need to ditch fragrance, now they started using words like aroma. And <laughs> right, it's, it's it's quite deceiving, but it's like aroma. Uh, okay, like right. What does aroma mean? <laughs> aroma. Uh, so I mean, this is the, the thing, thing that's frustrating about it as a consumer. You know, I'm of course I'm an I focus on nutrition, so there's so many things to account for in just that alone for a lot of people that I don't ever even like get to this other huge piece of health. And I think people just get really overwhelmed with like, they don't even know, you know, you hear, you hear from some sections of like the alternative health community, like the words chemicals, right? Chemicals are bad, but everything's chemicals. Everything's made up of chemicals. So then everyone else kind of pendulum swings in this other direction of being like, oh, well, everything's chemicals. So everything's safe. So it's like, well, no, there's, there's a middle ground here where some things really aren't safe for human health, but they are beneficial for big companies interests. Uh, You know, think about like trying to get the flexibility out of plastic products like that really impacts their ability to manufacture a lot of things. Uh, So if we know anything about big corporations, we've learned that they don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. So I think we should just kind of, you know, always take these sort of labels that they like to put on things with a grain of salt. Like I see a lot now that says paraben free, you know, phthalate free. And I'm wondering, okay, but what else is in there? You know? Right. I, I think ultimately the burden really shouldn't be on a consumer before a product put out. It should be safe already. Like we really, nobody should be trained as a chemist, like reading all those kind of labels, right? It makes no sense. Yeah. It should be safe already. But unfortunately, as you said, it's the interest of bigger companies. And the whole reason we had this whole more and more plastic issues is because all the petrochemicals that they want to they want to use the leftover to to make plastics, and that's how our world now is filled with plastic, which is really unfortunate. And you know, when you have plastic, you often then have these chemicals are used as additive, like BPA and phthalates. Now it's not just plastic. When plastic gone breaking broken down, you have microplastic and you have nanoplastic. Those actually have quite high penetration ability. So we would always recommend people, yeah, we have this complicated relationship with plastic. You can never, ever completely get rid of plastic, but you do what you can. It's kind of like, as you said, finding that balance. Why not to try to get too overwhelmed? Because if you get overwhelmed, you get stressed out. We don't want that stress hormone to to, to cause an issue, right? You don't want to mess up your adrenals. If you you guys um, follow uh, me on Instagram, you can see a really great Instagram live conversation I had with Jenna about the adrenals. So if that's something that you're interested in, I just thought I'd put a plug for that because that was a really great conversation. But I appreciate what you said there about the consumer because I, I agree. I don't think that the burden of all this should be on the consumer. However, this is where we, we're at. Uh, and so, you know, the average person who doesn't have any, you know, chronic health issues, which that's becoming rarer and rarer these days, but let's say you're a person who doesn't have any chronic health issues, you know, you don't uh, have any fit ham- family history of cancers or things like that. You know, maybe you don't 
maybe you don't need to pay as much attention to this for yourself, but I think most of the people who are listening to this podcast probably have some chronic health issues, probably have some infertility or some uh, hormonal imbalance issues. And so we do unfortunately have to be, you know, more careful than the average person does if we want to have true, um, benefits for our, our hormone balance. I mean, food alone just can't do everything. And that that's kind of my argument when I tell people about that I want them to take certain supplements and things. I don't try to over overload people with them, but you know, if food alone could do it, then we would have already done that by now. It's just it even our food system is is not ideal anymore. So um I like that you have a like a testing option now because I know for my clients I always test them for food allergies and sensitivities, right? And there's controversy about that test and all of that. But for me and my client, what it does is it helps us see on paper, hey, this is a potential problem. And it makes it that much easier for them to find a solution for it. Whereas if we're just doing some arbitrary elimination diet for 30 days and then we're adding the foods back in, it's it's maybe harder to tell. It's harder to be consistent and it's harder to be um it's harder to really follow through if you can't see something on paper. So that's what I think the benefit of any kind of lab testing is, whether you go to your doctor and you get your, a lipid panel run or something like this, it's nice to see it on paper because it puts it into perspective that, hey, this is a problem and I can find some solutions for it. Absolutely. It's also more personalized, right? This is the, your sample. This is personalized to you. And I think minimally, it kind of give people an anchor point to start changing behavior because oftentimes, you know, even back in nutrition, when, when I was a dietitian, I was very frustrated when I was working in the hospital. I would, I would only have 15 minutes to con- console my patients and I have to spend an hour charting. I mean, you can't change someone's behavior in 15 minutes. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, and then we also don't, as you said, we don't really focus on prevention enough. It's always, we're just treating people when they're sick already, but these things, you know, these chemicals, they're not going to kill you tomorrow, but you don't really know down the line, like when your cup's going to get full, if we already know that they could potentially cause harm, then why don't we take a step like making small changes to prevent that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like to your point about genetic testing, I run genetic testing on a fair number of my clients and I've run it on myself. And like for my own experience, what I've seen on my genetic testing is that I'm already came into this life with a lot against me when it comes to detoxification and hormone balance. Like I had like high end markers on like everything that you could have the whole cellular pathway. So I'm not surprised I got cancer at 25 years old. Um, But also I do wonder if I had known a lot about this stuff Mm -hmm. and I had paid more attention to it when I was much younger, you know, where would I be now? Um, And, and all of that. So I, the pairing of all of this stuff together is really where you hit the, hit the sweet spot. So how, how does the testing work? Is it, um, you said it's metabolites, right? Yes. So we test people's urine. Um, here, there's also a difference between transient chemicals and persistent chemicals. So the chemical we're testing are transient chemical. That's why you can see in a urine. And if you eliminate the source, you can actually see a dramatic change in your urine metabolite level. So we, people can simply order a test kit online. We send you the test kit. We do ask people to complete an exposure survey before 
sending back your sample because this allowing us to tailor the report for you. You don't have to do that if you don't want to, but I actually think this is where people get the biggest bang for their bucks uh, because we do a really comprehensive lifestyle audit looking at what do you use in your kitchen? What did you eat? How much packaged food did you touch receipts and all these, anything lifestyle related. We also look at all the products you're using from household product to personal care product, anything you submit uh, we look at all the ingredients on your products list. So we, we will audit not only the chemicals that we're currently testing, but any other problematic chemicals that we don't test will also let you know. So then the next time you buy a product or replenish your pantry or do you know uh, your bathroom, you can buy a better product. So once we get the urine analyzed, we'll let you know your levels, how you compare with our existing users, how you compare with the national average, then paired with that information and your product audit, your lifestyle audit, then we give you this report. You can look at the report. Um, you can contact us. We can walk you through the report. Uh, you can make changes. Then you can decide if you want to get a test, um, a second test to confirm or not or track. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. I really like that. That's cool. And you know, what's cool about it is that you don't have to get it through a practitioner because a lot of the testing that I run, you know, you have to be my client in order for me me to run it on you. And, you know, so for some, for certain things, I agree with that, but in other ways, it's like, it really limits the population at large from just being able to take some ownership over their situation. And I, I really like what you said about you know, gradually replacing your products. It's, it's not something where, cause I think people get really overwhelmed. They get really scared mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, this is too much. You know, I can't like, I can't use anything. Like if you go look at all your products, if you're buying just regular um, products at the grocery store and stuff, household cleaning products and makeup and things like that, you're going to find these ingredients in like a lot of things. So you're going to get very overwhelmed to be like, oh my gosh, what do, what do I even do here? And it's very tempting in those types of situations to say, I'm not going to do anything at all. I'm just going to ignore it and hope that the problem is not real. Um, but if instead you just say, okay, so when I run out of something, the next time I replace it, I'm going to replace it with a better option. There are some great resources for finding better options as well. I don't know if you uh, like the environmental working group, but that's who I usually recommend. Or do you have another source that you like? We actually end up curating our own product list so people can actually go on our website. I I personally think, well, we think we have much stringent criteria compared to other groups. Uh, okay. EWG is a pioneer in this field, so is Made Safe. We actually started our product list from their list. Uh, we in, in the beginning, we weren't going to reinvent the wheel to curate a list of product. And we were requested by our customers saying that, it's still too overwhelming. I don't even want to search on EWG. I don't want to search every single product. Just tell me what's a good, give me a smaller list. That's yeah. when we started our journey of like curating uh, a million market approved product list. 
And through that process, we also realized that some of the scientific literature is not exactly updated on EWG site. And many times when an ingredient have, has a data gap, it's always rated as low risk. And that's not necessarily true, we think, because when you have no data, that just means we don't know. It's rather than low risk. So we think that's really important to let people know. And if we find any article, the latest research on whether, whether it's an animal study or human study, if there's anything on this ingredient, we opt it out because there, there's no point to take the risks, right? Right. If there's a product available that doesn't have that in it, then what's the point of, you know, I mean, I really like that actually, because that makes it easy. And uh, that's been kind of my beef with not just with, well, I didn't know about the EWG thing, but thank you for telling me because now I know, but um, that's my beef with a lot of nutrition advice really is, is that Mm -hmm. like, especially in like, um, I don't want to name any names, but in certain circles, you know, in medicine and nutrition, like they will wait for a huge body of evidence, like a 25 year body of evidence before they'll make real changes to recommendations or before they'll acknowledge that something's going on. A good example of that would be the idea of intestinal permeability or leaky gut. Alternative practitioners were talking about that decades ago, 20 years ago, (laughs) I want to say like maybe 20, 10, 20 years ago. I don't know. It it happened within my lifetime because I remember this conversation uh, until then a lot of, you know, doctors, nutritionists stuff kind of turn their nose up at it. Like that's not a real thing or the gut microbiome. That's not a real thing. That doesn't matter. And now we have all these studies coming out because it's an emerging field of research saying like, Hey, this is a real thing. Oh, wow. It actually plays a role in like almost everything in your body. I mean, even gut bacteria, even responsible for part of the process of like breaking down these kinds of things in the system too. So it plays a really, really big role. Um, And that's just always been my frustration because I would prefer to be a little experimental and, you know, try something out and see if it works rather than just wait around and hope that, you know, I'm doing the right thing until then. I don't know. Oh, no, absolutely. And also it's waiting for these big research study as well as policy to change. It's it's kind of like a one size fit all kind of situation, but each individual is really different. So I would never recommend anybody to, to wait. And I really love how you're working with your clients because it's a really personalized approach, you know, like what works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And even if right. we on, even on like, certain like on paper we might look the same but but it's really not the same so i think taking a personalized approach and also experimental approach because there are so many things like science just can't explain at this point exactly i think you know what i've noticed um over the years and especially the last you know few years with with covid and everything is is kind of this um this almost over-reliance on, um, on the science of like the word science, right? Like as if it's this perfect thing, this like all powerful, like factual thing. And of course, science is really just our process of figuring things out. So Mm -hmm. 
we don't know everything yet. Like it's not, everything's not set in stone. And that's what you see, especially with nutrition recommendations. Right. Right. We change our mind. Like, you know, what were eggs were like terrible for you like 10 years butter, ago. You know? butter. So yeah. We change our mind as new evidence comes out. Science is always is the process of us trying to make sense of the world around us. Um, so it's not stagnant. It's not static. And we, I think the people who do the most important work and the most valuable work for actual like healing and human health are the people who say, you know, I'm listening to the research. I'm watching it. Like I'm not completely ignoring it and going Mm -hmm. off in left field, but I'm also willing to say, okay, there's an animal study on this. You know, not all animal studies lead to actual changes in in Mm -hmm. human health, but maybe I'll start implementing this with a small group of people who are willing to, to implement this with me, who I have a certain intuition about or something. And then we see what happens. Uh, and that's how change really happens in, in healthcare is that some people are, they're at the end of their rope. No one can help them. And they're willing to try something new, something different. And then suddenly you see, oh, wow, there might be something to this. So, so I think you are very much at the frontier of like, of this particular area. Um, but to another point that you said too, you know, when you said like, we're, we may look the same on paper, um, this is another misconception that I think a lot of people have, which is that lab work that you mm-hmm. get run at your doctor's office is um, the only piece of the story. People don't realize that like labs have different reference ranges, right, that right. Um, they're not consistent, you know, with each other, even like, um, and that they don't test for every potential thing that could be going on. A great example in PCOS is we often get a test for testosterone, but do we get a test for free testosterone? Do we get a test for dihydrotestosterone? Mm-hmm. I mean, dihydrotestosterone is the thing that's actually causing symptoms. So most of us never get that test run. So just because something looks good on paper um, doesn't mean that there's not a problem, particularly when it comes to these endocrine disrupting chemicals, like just because your hormone level, your estradiol levels look fine on paper, it doesn't mean that there's not something deeper going on. Um, I can't tell you the number of people that I've worked with who have had histories of like estrogenic cancers, Mm -hmm. myself included, whose estradiol level always looked totally normal. Right. But I had and estrogenic cancers. So there was something going on. <sighs> I think it's also have to do with a lot of how these lab standard lab value get established the same as, you know, how much vitamin D, for example, that you need to get, it's based on like 90% of the population. And even based on 90% of the population, it's not like the standards established by testing the whole U S population, right? It's actually a pretty small sample size. That's how these standard gets established. And but what if you're that 10% or even that 1%? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I tend to be, when it comes to medical conditions, I tend to just always be that outlier, that 1%. So like, <laughs> you know, the like lab, that standard lab value just like never really works for me. That oh, yeah, everything same. comes back to be normal, but obviously it's not normal, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the frustrating part of being like, you know, younger and having health issues is I can't count the number of times I went to my doctor and they're like, well, everything looks normal. And you're so young. It's so weird that you have this problem going on. I'm like, well, okay, it's weird. But like, what's the solution? Um, yeah. I mean, vitamin D that gets me the vitamin D thing in particular, because I'm still reading debate 
amongst right. different researchers on like what's the cutoff point for a deficiency and then the 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 debate is always where where's the deficiency start or not the debate's never like what's the ideal range for optimal human right. health because, right. because you're not deficient in something doesn't mean that it's at the place where it needs to be i've had clients come in with a lab that said their vitamin D level was high according to this particular lab's reference range. But according to my reference ranges and other labs that people use, it's completely normal. So it's just like, it's frustrating that there's no consistency on these things. And that's why I think, you know, you can't go by all of this stuff as if it's like the all powerful word. Like you also have to look at your own experience of life Mm -hmm. and your own experience of your health and your body. And, you are the expert on your body and what's going on with you and your health. So never forget that. Like never let, let anybody take that power away from you, you know? Totally agree. I also think the more you know about your body, you can better be your own advocate when you're going to a healthcare professional, right? Because if you doctor, you again, doctor spends, you know, 15, 20 minutes with you. They can't be knowing your entire history. And if you actually understand how your body works, what's inside of you, then you can actually be a better advocate to asking for additional lab tests or other things. Yeah. And I can tell you from, you know, from personal experience, being a a clinician and I spend an hour with my clients. So that's already a lot of time, but even Mm -hmm. I, like I have to read my notes really well and I have a lot of notes. Um, And there are lots of things that I forget about a person's health history because um, it's just a, everyone's health history is so unique. I mean, it covers your whole life. There's a lot of different things. So when you have 15 minutes with mm-hmm. a patient, like you don't have time to like, if just going through their health history with them <laughs> would take the entire session. So you right. like, you know, I mean, I just, people kind of like they wait, they're timid. They wait at their doctor's office. They're like, you know, waiting for this moment where the doctor's going to just like say something and make some big change for them. And it never happens. Like you, you have to be your own advocate. You have to speak up for yourself and say mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is my history. In case you don't remember, this is my history. Mm-hmm. And this is what I've researched and what I would like to do. And, um, you know, respect their, their knowledge and their experience too. I fully, you know, I don't believe in just being like, oh, I'm, I know more than my doctor, but, you know, be your own advocate though, too. Um, don't be afraid to do that. I was so afraid to do that. So I guess I just get really on a soapbox with that because I let a lot of things happen to me that I probably could have prevented if I had just spoke up for myself. So, yeah. The other thing I also want to say, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it during our IG live session and it's, it takes work to, to maintain a healthy lifestyle, right? It's not like there's no magic pill there. You really just got putting your time and putting your effort, even just for stress reduction, that takes time, right? And the same as swapping out product, live a healthier lifestyle, eat better. So it takes time. So I think there needs to be a mind sh- mindset shift that you can do it. You just need to start slow and uh, you've got to put in the work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, none of this stuff happens overnight. I always tell people with, with hormone imbalance in general, um, it it's going to probably take at least six months to a year mm-hmm. for you to really see like a profound change. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that doesn't mean that what you're doing right now is not working. You're always setting the stage for the, your, the future you, um, even with like with egg quality and, mm-hmm. and fertility, you know, we talk about the process of follicular genesis, that process takes six months. Um, mm-hmm. The most intense part of it happens three to four months before ovulation. But, you know, the changes that you make now will affect the health of future um, eggs and embryos six months from now and years from now. And it, and isn't it cool too, how like your health impacts the health of not just yourself, but also future generations, like your literal grandchildren. Oh, absolutely. Like inside of, it's so weird how this stuff all works, but I mean, we've, we see that in the research, right? That, that there's a connection between how healthy the grandparent was and the grandchild, right? Right. Uh, when it comes to these exposures that we're testing and we're talking about these hormone disrupting chemicals, yes, your grandparents' ex- exposure is actually impacting you. For the longest time, we thought these exposures, these chemicals will not cross placental barrier. Um, but it turns out we were wrong. They actually pass placental barrier and actually impacting the fetus c- cellular level. So for your generation, yes, yeah, impacting your body, your metabolism, it's impacting your unborn baby's cell and then, and then the cell they're carrying. Because, you know, especially when it comes to ovarian, like uh, eggs, like I think it's also surprise. People always get surprised that for women, you actually born with a set of eggs, like that number decreased from your birth. It's not like you, it's not like sperm. You keep generating uh, more. So think about like the set of eggs and the set of egg quality. It could already be impacted, whether good or bad, from your grandparents' generation. So it makes yeah. really important for, for people who are trying to conceive, thinking about these topics um, and start preventing exposures. So then again, you're, you're benefiting yourself now, but you're really, really benefiting generations to come. Yeah. And that, that kind of like selflessness is something that, um, I I think culturally, like we have, have neglected a bit, you know, that idea that like, we want to make the world a better place, not just for us right now, but for future Mm -hmm. generations, I think previous generations to mine, I'm a millennial. So previous generations to mine, we're not necessarily thinking about that from an environmental perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think every generation does think about, you know, especially once you're around like little children, like you think about the future for them and you want them to have a better life than, than you were able to have. But it's also important to remember if you are dealing with this stuff, and I like to remind myself of this, that it's not all my fault either. You know, no. I was born with a set of, of, um, of predispositions and I was, you know, raised in a certain environment and, and a lot of those things that happened to us before we really have control over mm-hmm. how we eat or what we're exposed to, those things do matter. Um, so the past is the past and we can't do anything about that, but we can make changes going forward that will be better for us and for future generations. Um, how much do you know about the connection between endocrine disruptors and PCOS. Do you know much about that? I'm just curious because my audience mostly has PCOS. There aren't, so there are a ton of studies on endocrine disrupting chemicals and PCOS. Um, however, here the caution is, is that all these are association studies. 
not causation studies. Mm-hmm. I think I think the reason we don't have a causation study is because these chemicals were being exposed to day in and day out at very, very tiny, tiny doses. And so you're talking about this long-term over and over exposure. And it's really hard to do studies like that to proven causation when you don't have a super large data set and have a lot of sample. Um, so that's one issue. The second is we can't really do a prospective study by exposing humans to these chemicals and study them, right? It's, it's unethical. So again, we have association studies and then all these association studies have shown that if you have a higher exposure to these chemicals, you would have a higher one, having higher risk for PCOS. The second is that you would have worse symptoms of PCOS. So obviously these are all tied to your hormones, which makes sense. Uh, this also makes people with PCOS preventing these exposures even more important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And I've seen a lot of that research and it's fascinating. And I think it's definitely something that if you do have PCOS, you really should pay attention to. The The clinical research is a lot more complex than a lot of people really understand. And, uh, you know, I learned some about it when I was getting my master's, but, you know, I don't have a PhD, so I didn't go that whole route that you do have your PhD, right? Yeah. So like, I didn't go that whole route of actually doing research, although I'm considering getting my PhD, but another topic for another time. Uh, but what I did learn, particularly when it comes to nutrition research is that anytime there's something like, um, like food, for example, that you're, you eat your every day, multiple times a day, your whole life. And the way that you eat from years ago, um, impacts your health now. Right. So it's very difficult to isolate Mm -hmm. out like a specific diet and say, okay, if, Mm -hmm. if people eat this diet, you know, it's better for human health because you're looking at all different people who are unique individuals and have unique backgrounds. Uh, and for some people that diet, will probably mesh really well. And for some people it won't. And so when you see these studies that say like, um, Oh, I don't know, like the keto diet is, is great. It lowers lipid levels and all this stuff. You're really looking at like, you're, you're just looking at one tiny subset Mm -hmm. of, of people. It's not necessarily something that can be disseminated out to a larger group of people, it's really hard to do nutrition research um, because the best way to do research is, you know, with like prescription meds, right? You, right. you give somebody a medication, you give a group a placebo and then you see what happens. Uh, but food doesn't work that way. So, and I neither do chemical. Right. It's the same. Right? Yeah. The other thing is I also want to mention the way all of these studies we have been studying chemicals or food many times it's, you know, one chemical, one item at a time. Exactly. But think about how, like how we're getting exposed to these things. We're literally getting exposed to thousands of them all at once. So we have no idea about like, do they add up? Like what's the synergistic effect when you have multiple of them? There was a, a new study just got published um, a couple months ago. It was pretty impressive by an EU group demonstrating when mothers are exposed to BPA, phthalates, and PFAS, this forever chemical that lives on your Teflon coating nonstick pens. So when you have all three of them, they actually cause more damage than single one. They literally um, validated a study in both um, in vivo and in, in vitro models showing that 
higher exposure to these chemicals are causing language delays in kids. And we're also seeing studies with, you know, mother with higher exposure that kids would have lower IQ. You don't want your kids have lower IQ, no, right? So no I think this is like, <laughs> right. So, so this like, it's also this, this mixture impact um, is also really important. So I think like mm-hmm. it could be more harm than we anticipated, which right. also, again, makes the prevention even more important. Totally agree with that. And I like what you said about the synergistic effect of, of things, you know, because, yeah, it, I mean, it's the same thing with people are always wanting like some superfood or a supplement or something that can, you know, have this impact. And we, we even think about like preventative um, healthcare in the same way that we think about like the whole prescription medication mm-hmm. system. It's like, what can I take? What give me the thing that I need to do? And then it'll fix everything. And it's, it's like, no, I mean, all these impacts, they have a synergy with each other. And right. we don't know, like, for example, with fish oil, um, you know, fish oil does have a lot of, you know, research saying that it's, it's beneficial yes. and everything, but it's not as beneficial as eating actual fish. Well, why is that? Because there are other things going on in fish that we don't fully understand mm-hmm. and how they all work together that impacts. Right. So yeah, I think that's for good or ill. That's a real thing. Our bodies are systems and the whole system functions and feeds off of everything else. Um, it's not just like your gallbladder separate from the rest of your body. So it's the same thing with the way that anything else works that we take in. Um, and someone told me once, I feel like I learned this in my master's, but when we talk about the definition of what nutrition is, it's anything that you take in to your body. So it does, it's not just food. It includes like the water you drink, Mm -hmm. but I would Mm -hmm. also classify like the, um, you know, the, uh, chemicals and things that you take in from your environment, mm-hmm. things right. that you breathe, like that is part of nutrition. So um, if we want to be preventative about all this, we have to look at all of that stuff. So right. let me ask you this, because I, I will tell everyone that I'm in the process and have been in the process for years now of gradually like switching over all of my stuff to healthier options. Um, the biggest place where I put a focus was on my, my makeup and skincare stuff. And then also, um, like I stopped using like plastic, uh, mm-hmm. Tupperwares and, you know, I use glass and stuff a lot. Now, where are the places where you think that people can put the, if they put the most focus on it, it'll get them the most benefit. If that makes sense. Yeah. Kitchen is where I would start first, because okay. I think also that's a, a, a really great investment. Because, you know, if you buy your glass Tupperware, you use it for years, like you don't change it right away. Right. So it's a, it's a really nice investment. And then once you do the swap, you don't even have to think about it. So that's like your kitchen is where I would start first. So think about your Tupperware. If you're using plastic Tupperware, definitely swap that out. It doesn't cost that much. You do it once you don't have to do it again. If you are using still have, you don't want to throw away your, your, your plastic Tupperware, just remember, don't ever microwave that plastic Tupperware because mm-hmm. the heat will actually release the, the leaching of these chemicals. If you ha- still have a plastic water bottle, anytime if that plastic water bottle is damaged, ditch that um, because the damage, any scratches or anything will, again, increase the leaching. 
if you are using a nonstick pan, I would highly recommend to change to a cast iron or stainless steel. Ceramic mm-hmm. will work too, but cast iron and stainless steel, you invest it once. Again, it lasts for a long lifetime. Mm-hmm. You don't ever have to swap it again. Lastly is uh, on the serin wrap. I, I, I often hear people, you know, put that serin wrap on, on their plastic Tupperware, putting a wipe away. Okay, don't do that. Ah, <laughs> use, no. to, to avoid a splash. So use a, you know, use a plate instead. Um, yes, you do have to wash the plate, but, um, but it's better for you. Um, if you can use a bee wax wrap, again, you buy that once, you can, it can last quite long. So, and here I also want to plug in that when you make these changes, it's not just better for your health. It's literally better for the environment because you're literally by doing, making these small changes, you're creating a more, much, much more sustainable environment for your future generations, for your kids. That's what I think is so cool about this whole process because I think as human beings, we've gotten so disconnected from our place as part of the um what the circle of life like the mm-hmm. as part of the earth, you know, we right. are we are part of that whole process. And so uh we've gotten so disconnected from that that we don't even think about ourselves as as a piece of that. But it's interesting that if we do things that are beneficial for our health, it's also beneficial for the environment. So right. it really makes you think. I'll link to some of uh, to some like good options for these kinds of things. And maybe, I don't know, is that, is your list, your curated list, yes. is that like, and anyone can look at it. Okay. I'll link to that as well. But you said, so I want to ask you though, this is just a personal question. The ceramic coated, like a ceramic coated Dutch oven type thing to cook in. Is that okay? Or is that like, that's okay. Ceramic just make sure. Great? Yeah. It's, it's okay. Just make sure you don't scratch it. Cause also people, often people, people just like, don't pay pay attention on a scratch. Um, so try not to scratch it. It's still better um, than the regular nonstick. Okay. All right. Good to know. I also cook with cast iron a lot and I will say cast iron is great to cook in because it really gives a lot of flavor to your food. So, right. and if you season a cast iron pan correctly, it is nonstick. Like right. you just have to keep, you know, putting that oil on it. So, um, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't have any more questions for you. Is there anything that you would like to add? I think I'll add a couple more things uh, in terms of, uh, and to answer your last question uh, regarding where people can start. So after kitchen, I always recommend to think about what's that personal care product or many of the personal care product that you use daily and in large amount. So if you wash your hair every day, you use this big blob of shampoo and conditioner, I would definitely take a look at that because the more you use one thing day in and day out, that's where you get your exposure. So mm-hmm. if your shampoo and conditioner have fragrance or anything like that, um, trying to swap that. Again, if you buy a bottle of shampoo that lasts you for months, right? So that's another place I would change. And also think about your laundry detergent. Again, you're using quite a bit. It's compared to you know a face serum, you use a few drops. So mm-hmm. that exposure is not as high as something you use quite a bit. So I would mm-hmm. think about that. And the last tip is um, your water. Think about your water. So ditch plastic water bottle if you can or buy that plastic water bottle if you can. Um, uh, Not buying that plastic water bottle if you can. Um, Think about a water filter at home. Any filter is better than no filter. But if you can get your hands on a reverse osmosis water filter, that's sort of a catch-all filter because we have seen our water sources 
are not super great. You would have, have you could have heavy metal, you could have PFAS, you could have all these things. So I would highly recommend to get a get a water filter. And I think having a having a good glass water bottle is really nice right. too. I personally like drinking out of glass. I think it makes water taste better. I don't know if that's just in my head, but it's like makes it feel fancier. And you know, with any hormone issue or like with PCOS, anyone who's listening here, you know, you need to be drinking enough water because water is important for right. it's one way that your body kind of, you know, goes through its detoxification processes. So drinking, I usually recommend like about two liters of water a day around mm-hmm. that is, is a good amount. And, um, I have a really cool water bottle that I got recently. It's glass. Um, a client told me about it actually, and it has little, uh, notches on it, with different times of the day. So basically you have to fill this thing up twice in a day, but it tells you like, okay, by 8am, you should have drank this much. And it just keeps you accountable and, um, keeps you better with drinking your water. And then you don't feel bad for, you know, using all that plastic and stuff. So it's, it's nice. And it has a little silicone sleeve. So it doesn't shatter if you drop it. It's totally possible to find alternatives to plastic. I think, um, for most things, I do wish that, you know, like I go to get, I go to coffee shops sometimes and, you know, they put my drink in a plastic Mm -hmm. cup and I guess I could take my own cup. I'm already, I'm thinking about things I should do. Okay. Um, yeah, (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I'm like all inspired now, but I'll link, I'll link to a few things. Um, yeah, I list everything and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the encouraging thing is that it's actually have been proven in research is when people start changing, practicing one type of lifestyle behavior, they will start practicing others. So some of the research we see, okay, if people started eating better, they will start exercising after that or if mm-hmm. vice versa, right? So if you think about it, you're eating better, you're using better product, you feel better, you're going to start doing other good stuff. So I think that's the encouraging part. You just need to get to the, this first step yes. to start, then that you can so keep going. Absolutely true. I, I always like to remind people because when people see me now and I'm a professional nutritionist and all this, they just assume that I've always been this like <laughs> super healthy, <laughs> like person, you know, and, and I, a lot of people find that a little off putting. They're like, that's unrealistic. I'll never be like that. But I used to be one of those people that thought, Oh, I'll never be like that. And when I was in college, um, y'all don't even want to know what I was eating or how little I was moving, all that stuff in college. I had no knowledge of nutrition at all, no interest in it. I thought it was hokey, but I had a, my roommate who's now a, she's still a best friend of mine. She was really into health and she had a uh, gluten. She realized she had like a gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I remember rolling my eyes like, okay, she has a gluten intolerance, right? That's the trendy thing. But she was such an example to me back then. Cause I noticed like, Hey, we go to the cafeteria and she would actually eat a salad. And I was like, why are you eating salad when we could eat hamburgers? You know, but over time <laughs> I realized like, Hey, this person has a lot more energy than me. She has better skin. Like she feels better. Um, she maintains her weight easier, like all these different things. And over the years, as I went through my health struggle, I didn't change everything overnight. It's just mm-hmm. that the buildup of making one healthy choice and feeling better from that led me to want to make another mm-hmm. to where now I'm where I'm at. Um, and I'm still not, you know, perfect, but I, I work every day at, at trying to be a healthier person. So uh, it's okay for it to take time and it's okay for, 
for you to uh, just make small changes. Like if that's where you're at right now, that that's okay. Just start with one small change. I love the idea of just changing out one thing when you run out of it. I think that's great. All right. Um, so last thing I want to mention is that I do have an affiliate code for the testing. So if you use the code, uh, I believe the code is Amber, I'll put it in the description box of this, you can get um, a little money off of the testing. So if you guys would like to try it, and I would be super fascinated to know what your results come back and the changes that you make and how that impacts everything, I would really, really want to know that. So um, definitely, uh, you can contact me for the podcast through there's a Google form where you can fill that out and everything. So let me know how that goes. And I hope some of you will try it. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for being here. Um, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always so much fun to talk. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.